Hey, how's it going, pal? You all set? Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. <sighs> At least the heat broke. Oy. <laughs> I'm a sweater to begin with, so... <laughs> uh, those couple of days last week were not fun, but we're okay now, all right? Okay, let's... Um, Let's just get started, okay? 379, put it in the book. Three S's, star, smile, strong. Here we go. You ready? You ready with the buttons? You weren't so ready last week. You ready now? Okay, thumbs up. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. There we are. Don't forget, prove to the world it's your favorite podcast by getting out there and telling everybody you know, friends, family. Anyone who listens to a podcast, tell them that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. If you like what you hear, don't forget, you go to WGNRadio.com, you hit the prompt for podcasts, and you go in there and... Hit the prompt for this specific podcast, and my goodness, the riches that await. Podcast after podcast after podcast. Just keep listening and scrolling down. Listening and scrolling. Listening and scrolling. Good two or three years worth in there. We've been doing this now since May of 2016. More than seven years. They're not all in there, but a good chunk of them are. Always a good idea to listen to where we've been, so you listen, listen, so you know where we're going. And right now, we're going to episode number three hundred seventy-nine. And that little recommendation for you to listen to where we've been, so you know where where we're going in the future. Uh, as I said, in the last couple of weeks, that has proven good advice because I have spoken about things that have referred right back to some recent podcasts, but I didn't expect it to happen this quick this week, but just last week. So you don't even have to go back years. You don't have to go back <laughs> Two or three or four years to uh, to hear what I was talking about to have some relevancy in today's discussion. You, li- you literally have to go back to next to last week, one week ago. Not the same exact topic, but a little, un- as I said, unexpectedly somehow connected. So it always pays to be a loyal listener every week. You always want to be up to date. I know people like to binge. And that's great. Go binge with the podcasts maybe from the past, especially if you're a newer listener that you haven't heard. But, you know, try to stay current. I know it's tough. 
right now I'm going through that kind of binge binge versus weekly um, push and pull with uh, the one of the streaming shows that I enjoy, Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez, kind of a quirky murder mystery slash comedy slash drama TV show that's in its third season. And if you're a Netflix fan and some other streaming services, uh, they will drop, if you will. That's the new term for release. I don't know when that started. I don't know. My new album drops. I don't know when that started. It's been going around for a while. Now it's become common use. Something drops. It used to be, when is the new album released? It used to be released. I don't know where drops came in. Some lingo from somewhere. Some cool person or cool people started saying drops, and then the media picked up on it. And then once they do that... Then, you know, the average person starts dropping it into their vocabulary, and pretty soon that's the common usage. Drops. When's the new thing released? Drops. Where's it dropping? Nothing's dropping today. It's all electronic. There's nothing dropping. You know, you don't drop off anything. Maybe, maybe, maybe that term came from dropping off the boxes of albums or CDs, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. But today, nothing physically drops anywhere. It's transmitted. So say that. That doesn't sound as cool. Drops. And, 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 um, and then I'm also interested, once again, you, if you listen with any regularity, you know that I'm I, kind of a stickler for language I try my best to uh, to make sure that I adhere by the same strict rules of which I constantly complain about when other people break those rules so I try my best but don't forget you know I joke about having a script but I don't have a script in front of me I have nothing in front of me so I'm going off the top of my head and on the tip of my lips here and the tip of my tongue. So hopefully I speak well enough that I don't break those rules. Every so often I, I do find myself maybe, uh, you know, screwing up a a tense now and then. But I try to to think what, what I, you know, before I say. But it's been driving me ever the more crazy. And this has been going on for some time now. But now, as I said before, this has become the common usage now. I feel sorry for the poor article, meaning the article in grammar terms, like the, the is the the most famous article, the, you put it before something. Now in the past, once again, I think this is, you know, for the tragically hip now, it just sounds so cool. Um, If you notice, if you listen to uh, people talking about, if you listen to the news, they're using it too now because they got to be cool, you know. People on the news always got to be cool. If they hear something, they see something, they got to jump on the latest trend and they'll drop it in two seconds as soon as it's not popular. But oh my goodness, when it's popular, you know right now every TV anchor is playing pickleball. You know that. 
every reporter and every anchor man, oh, they're an anchor woman. They're playing pickleball because it's cool until the next one comes along. But uh, you'll hear the term, and as I said, reporters now are bringing it into their world on the TV news. But I heard it first uh, in the in the television and film world. The 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 dropping of the article the. And I may have even talked about this before, but now it's driving me even more crazy because I'm hearing it more and more. And now I'm hearing it. I'm hearing not even just people in the business saying it on television or in interviews, but I'm hearing people say it in their normal language in, in telling a story or describing something just because they're hearing it now so much. They're dropping the the. And so, like, for instance, if someone was shooting a film, you would say, well, on the set. The is the article. On the set, this happened. The director said this on the set. Um, with reporters, uh, with the, with the, uh, in the news, they will now say, you know, we are on the scene right now of the crime, in the scene. We are on the scene of the accident, right? Now, that makes perfect sense, and it uses the, the correct grammar, grammar with the the on the set. Why would you say it any other way? But my gosh, am I not hearing on set? And now reporters are saying, "Oh, I am here on scene, reporting on scene from the intersection." They 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 have to sound cool like the like the like the movie stars now. On set, when they called me on set, when we were on set, no, when we were on the set, what is it so hard to say the? But you hear that everywhere now. Ugh. On set and on scene. Listen close for it. You'll hear it quite a bit. And there's no need for it except to be cool. Like my new album, Drops. <laughs> okay. I don't, I mean, once again, I, I just mentioned that in the, the drop, the word drops, and the the use of the use of it <laughs> in relation to uh, you know TV shows, and then I go off on a ten minute rant about the loss of the articles <laughs> in grammar. <laughs> Sometimes I even amuse myself. I hope I'm amusing you. Let me get back to what I was talking about. Uh, I won't use the term drop or on set or on. The, but believe me, if you hear me talk, you will hear me. I will purposely put the the in i will always say the the when someone was on the set when someone was on the scene i will i will punch and punctuate punch i will i will over i will over enunciate the the just so somebody hears it on set on scene come on give me a break but anyway I'm in the midst of this kind of push and pull. I was talking about binge watching. <laughs> and then I went off on my grammatical tangent, <laughs> my diatribe. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, in terms of listening, you know, and, and, and enjoying things in a binge or in a episode by episode, and right now I'm in the middle of that because... A lot of uh, the streaming services will just will will just release. There you go, release, not drop, release the whole season at one time. Which 
lends itself to binging, right? There they are. Watch at your convenience. Others are still holding fast. You can watch the previous episodes, and they're there to binge, but you can't watch the new one until the next week. They're still kind of holding firm to the old programming release of television shows on a once-a-week basis. And the show, as I said, that I'm listening, watching to watching in the current season, Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez, that's on Hulu. And so they still prescribe to ascribe? Ascribe. I'm sorry. Ascribe to the old way of... They, I mean, they might prescribe. It is a prescription. Well, it's not a prescription. It's a subscription. <laughs> The show, no, the show is not medicinal in any way. It may make you happy. That may be medicinal, but that's very new agey. No, they ascribe to the, the previous uh, schedule of releasing shows on a week-to-week basis. That's the way we all used to watch TV, believe it or not. In my day, we didn't have this binging. We had to wait a week for the next episode. And we waited and we waited and then we saw it and we liked it. We loved it. So it's kind of frustrating because you're so used to many of the shows being the whole season's boom. There they are. Ten episodes just waiting for you to watch. And I enjoy the binge, if you will. Especially in the winter. It's nice to just, you know, on a Sunday, there's we're binging for ten episodes. We've, we've done a ten-episode season on, in one day. 10 hours. <laughs> that's how that's how popular and, and all the friends that we have. Uh, <laughs> we, we, the phone doesn't even ring <laughs> when we're watching. We are never interrupted. <laughs> yeah, the binging was made for, for this household. <laughs> Lots of free time to just binge. But yeah, only, only buildings, um, only murders in the building, they do it week by week. So it's kind of frustrating. Um, but you get used to it, but this, you know, the season's going to run until October now until we find out the real murderer. So it is kind of difficult. We just binged over like maybe two weekends, five seasons of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Yeah. Five seasons worth. And those are our shows. Well, 45 minutes, you know, without commercials. Yeah, we, 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 we certainly like to binge. Now, they used to be called marathons. They're not called marathons anymore. When HBO used to show a whole, you know, or, or and sometimes they will still do that. You know, Sci-Fi Network shows all the Twilight Zone, sometimes over a holiday weekend like Labor Day, Memorial Day, or Fourth of July or something like that, and they call it a marathon. But now it's really binging. But, uh, but wow, yeah, like I said, I, I, I enjoy the binge thing, but... Uh, I never expected to have a topic the ne- the week before. It's almost like episodic television here, to get back to my original example. I didn't mean for it to happen, but something in the news happened, and it really struck me that, wow, wait, I just sort of talked about this in, oh, in, in, uh, in connection to, not exactly the same exact topic. So, you know, I'm not just rehashing stuff here, folks. This is all original material. 
But no, it, it, if you remember last week uh, on the podcast, I was talking about the electric car revolution and are we ready for it? Are we prepared for it? Not from a standpoint of the actual technology of the car itself, but more importantly, I believe, I mean, or at least as important, is not just the technology of the car itself to make sure it, it works correctly and is safe and all the kinks and uh, are, are, are are out of it before it actually gets into the market and gets on the street and possibly, you know, puts lives in danger. But more importantly, because of how it works, I brought up, are we ready from an infrastructure standpoint in terms of our electrical capabilities? Because electric cars will you know, need to be charged. And... I actually believe, from what I understand, my friend who I, who I was with last week when we, or a couple of weeks ago when we went to Cooperstown and we rented a car and they gave us an electric one, didn't ask for one, but they gave us one. My friend was looking into electric cars, thinking of possibly buying one, and he was saying how in the winter, in fact, uh, the the charge of the car goes down quicker because of the cold weather. Now that's I never thought of that. I never knew that, but that adds to another issue that I was talking about the electric car just as to sort of piggyback on that. Um especially if you live in in the Midwest. It might be fine if you're on the West Coast. But if you're in the Midwest and and if your car charge goes down in cold weather, that could be potentially worrisome. In the morning when you get up to take your car and expect it to be charged, maybe you, you, know, you, you didn't charge it overnight because you knew it had a charge, and then all of a sudden, what if it was below zero while you were sleeping or something overnight, and the car used up a lot of its energy? I'm not sure how much, so I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say that the, earth, you know, the, the, the sky is falling on this. I'm not trying to be chicken little here, but from what I understand, the cold weather does adversely affect your charge. In, a, in an electric vehicle. So that can have implications not only if your car is parked overnight and it gets cold, but what if you're stuck on the highway in a snowstorm, in a traffic jam, where you can't get to an electric charger? And it's because it's so cold, the car is charging uh, and, and, and depleting the charge quicker than it would in normal weather with normal usage. Maybe just another aspect to say, are we moving too fast? But my main, not so much argument against it, but my argument for at least taking a step back and instead of us just jumping in here before we have all the, the I's dotted and T's crossed, was this infrastructure to support it electrically because, yes, there's gas stations at every corner, but there are not charging stations at every corner. And so we're going to need a lot more electricity. And my point is, our electrical grid in this country is already suspect. It's outdated. It's old. Physically old. Technologically, in many cases, outdated. And very fragile. And I said that last week. If you go back and listen, maybe you already did. Nice job. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, it's fragile. 
We are still, isn't it crazy? Here we are in the 21st century. We had such high hopes for the 21st century. If you're 25, you may not, this may not ring true, but if you're older than 25 or 26, uh, even 20, maybe you have to be older than 30 to really appreciate this. When, when, when the 21st century started, when the new millennium started, there was such great hope because we had always talked about, you know, this shift of the millennium from the 1900s to 2000. I remember growing up in the latter half of the 20th century and you'd always hear about, well, how old will you be in the year two, year 2000, year two, my mom, all she talked about was she wanted to be around for the year 2000. I don't know what she just felt like that was gonna, that was su- going to be such a an important milestone. And she was around with 6 years to spare. But you know, it wasn't like uh the the expectation. There was such expectations for the year 2000. You know, thank I think mostly because as as crazy as it sounds, the Jetsons, you know <laughs> because of the Jetsons cartoon from the sixties, which which took place in the future, which with flying cars and automation, and I'm not exactly sure what year the Jetsons were supposed to take place, but certainly it was the twenty first century. And so and you know, in the seventies too, late sixties, early seventies, we were going to the moon, so th- the trajectory of our technological uh, advancements, you know, in the seventies and even eighties, you know, we were really. But in the sixties, if you watch some sixties television shows, especially, I mentioned uh, the Twilight Zone earlier, and I watch, I, I love the original Twilight Zones written by Rod Serling, and so often, you know, those were, those those shows were were in the early to mid sixties. And if you watch some of them, they will reference future, for that time, future events that were, and, and they will go way into the future in some episodes and refer to what would be the future for that time as the past, meaning it was 1962, and but now the episode took place in, in you know, 2020. So they would refer to the 1980s as the past. Even though the show was on in the 1960s, they had no way of knowing what would be happening in the 80s, more, even more than they, they would know in the 2000s. But they look back at the 70s and the 80s. So they would say, oh, well, you remember the hydrogen bomb war of 1984? So there was already like odd predictions of what, what might come happening in the next 20, 30, 40 years. But I think we all had this great expectation of, of, a, of, a, of a much more advanced and, and modern life. And we really have a modern life in many ways. There's no way in the 60s anybody ever could have, could have predicted the Internet uh, or the, the cell phone. And maybe if you even predicted the use of it, not the way it's being used, maybe you, you would have... Pete Townsend, actually, in, in some ways, uh, in the late 60s, with uh, an early 70s, with a project he was writing called Lifehouse, was setting this 
story and and concept album in the future where there there really was a communication device that was in everybody's home it was very similar to the internet i don't know if he had any insights if he was talking to people i don't know but it, 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 it he actually somewhat predicted the internet and the use of of technology and and even maybe 3d it's it's very interesting it's called Lifehouse. In fact, the 50th anniversary of that album is coming up, and um, there's a uh, uh, a box set, and for who's next? Because this Lifehouse project never happened. It went to a certain point, and then it just became too kind of odd for the time. No one could get their minds around it. But a lot of the songs that he wrote for this Lighthouse project then were used for the great Who album, Who's Next? Which has Bob O'Reilly and Won't Get Fooled Again and Getting in Tune and Bargain and Behind Blue Eyes. I mean, it, it, it's almost a Who's Greatest Hits album, even though it was a, a, a self-contained album. But my point is, we had such great expectations for the 21st century and, and after the year 2000. And I have to say, as I said many times, we're 23 years in and uh, wow. We are we are not <laughs> this is not the reality of today is not what I think we expected the year two thousand and beyond to be by any means. But as I said, you know, our our electrical we, we depend so much on electricity and yet for for an advanced country as we are, out you know, you look at some foreign countries Remember a few years ago, and there was a, a a big storm in in Puerto Rico, and you know the entire island electricity was knocked out for for weeks or months. We had to send our electricians and our utility people there to to help them out of that. I'm not even sure if they're still out of it, to be honest with you. But even here in the United States, our our, we have not invested, you know, that's what you, everybody's talking about, the infrastructure. You hear that word, infrastructure, infrastructure. We have not invested in our infrastructure in decades, in several decades, highways, bridges, and yes, electrical. We've been, we've been trying to slowly, but we certainly, our electrical grid system here in the United States is still vulnerable, is still, as I said, frail. And I said that last week in connection to the electric car revolution and how we were depending on, we will be depending on the electrical availability and our electrical grid for the, you know, for this complete transformation of the dominant mode of transportation based on an infrastructure that I don't think is ready to handle a complete transformation away from gas combustible engine cars to electricity i don't think our electrical grid and our electrical capabilities are ready for such a drastic and radical transformation within six or seven years is what they're trying to predict here trying to make up for lost time and the vulnerability of that so i made my point and then within a couple of days after that podcast, the tragedy, the horrific tragedy in Maui occurred. And I'm sure even if you haven't kept up with it on a day-to-day basis, I, I would assume that you've at least seen 
you've heard of it and you've seen some photos of the devastation that uh, took place on the tropical island of Maui in Hawaii um, due to some uh, some wildfires that almost completely devastated a complete town, Lahaina, that was a popular you know, tourist place and, and beautiful island, Maui, and just within hours, if that, the entire town was just obliterated. Hundreds of people are confirmed dead. Thousands are still missing. And an entire city is, is ash. And so it's been more than a week now, and we're, they're still you know, searching for remains of people. There's obviously no more survivors. But they're looking for remains just to give people some kind of closure. Um, you know, apparently a lot of family, complete families and children. This, 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 um, this wildfire, this storm, it, uh, you know, the wildfire was, was helped along, sadly, because there was a, a hurricane with high winds and the winds just came in and started to blow this fire. And initially, you know, the devastation, getting the thing under control, you know, making, finding out about people and things like that, that was the main concern. Well, now that it's all gone, I mean, it was sad. Literally a day later, you know, the store moved out, the fire was gone, and it's just amazing how much devastation can happen in a short period of time. And the next day, it was sunny and nice outside, as it always is, as at least I've never been to Maui, but... It was sunny and beautiful, and yet there was this aftermath of just pure devastation of a, of a town, a community, a city, completely just wiped out in a day. One day, beautiful paradise, right? Weather, beaches, palm trees. Uh, a cool, I never, like I said, never been to Maui, but a cool Hawaiian vibe. And literally, not even a day later, hours later, but certainly a, a day, a sunrise later, 12 hours perhaps, people's lives were completely changed. And a whole town was gone. And it was a historic town, it was the royal seat the royal capital of Maui, Lahaina. So history lost, possessions lost, lives lost, memories lost. Oh, unbelievable. If you saw the pictures, President Biden went there. Uh, You saw the the shock and the sadness and the aimlessness of the survivors. Many people so afraid that these fires were so intense, they were jumping in the water to escape them. There was pure chaos uh, when, as this fire was engulfing this town, clearly. Well, after the initial shock of this, authorities come in, FEMA, 
uh, and other governmental agencies and were trying to, you know, not only find remains, but really, how did this start? How did this fire start? Yes, the high winds contributed to it, but how did this, this just ravenous storm take on such proportions to burn down this whole town so quickly that people were not even able to, uh, to, to get out? It just, it came from nowhere. And as it stands now, as I record this, and maybe in the days after I record this and this is posted, I usually record these a couple of days before, maybe more information will come out. But as it stands right now, you know, anytime there's a wildfire, you know, especially ones that do damage to homes and lives, you know, we're always looking for the, the cause. And uh, sadly, I heard a I heard a a pretty scary statistic that eighty five percent of the wildfires that that burn every year around the world eighty five percent. There's all these wildfires currently burning burning in Canada, and we have these wildfires in California. My gosh, these 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 wildfires in Canada are actually affecting a lot of our weather every so often here in the United States. The actual thickness of the smoke comes down here in Chicago. We've had a few instances where there's been a, a there's been a huge cloud of of smoke from wildfires from Canada, California, New York. But sadly, 85% are human reasons, caused by humans. A lot of times we try to, you know, pass the buck. Oh, you know, there may have been a storm and a you know, the lightning bolt hit a tree and a tree cracked and it, it, and it started on fire. And then it started, you know, we like to say that because we don't want to take the human responsibility but many times sadly 85 percent of the time that's the statistics that i heard of those wildfires are caused by human causes by human irresponsible acts through a through a cigarette through a cigar didn't put a fire out now this one at least from the information that we have now this was sadly kind of a perfect storm, and that's a lot of times when tragedy strikes. It 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 it, it is a the, the, there's a an odd randomness where the the these these events become tragic because all the ingredients for them happened at one time, and it's not you it's not in usual. But in, in some cases, three or four unrelated events happen at the same time, and then they become related, and they turn into one big catastrophic event. And from what it sounds like, that's what happened with the, the Maui wildfires, that just practically obliterated Lahaina in uh, in Maui. 
So from what we're getting now, this maybe have not been, well, it may have been human error, but not, not in the way we, we talk about it. Most of the wildfires that we hear about with human error or human responsibility, as I said before, have to do with irresponsible behavior like throwing a cigarette down in a forest where there's a lot of dry wood and leaves and it starts a fire and then it goes out of control and the winds blow and here we go, we're off to the races. Or you don't completely put out a campfire. Things like that. This one is human error, but also kind of industrial error where they're leaning toward here is this perfect storm and i i it's not maybe the best way to put it but this 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 event that had all these different ingredients converging at one time so apparently you've got this hurricane out in the ocean stirring up these 60 70 80 mile an hour winds But at the same time, because of those winds, they may have knocked down an electrical pole. And the electrical pole crashes down, sparks, and here's the human error. Apparently reportedly, allegedly, I don't think we've got it completely nailed down in terms of the exact cause, but a prevailing theory that seems to be uh, becoming more and more accepted is that this wildfire in Maui may have started by these high winds which blew down an electrical pole, causing it to spark. And apparently, and I don't know if this was a certain type of grass that was more environmentally safe. This, this is what I'm hearing. But there was something about the type of grass that was underneath these electrical poles. And they may have been put there for environmental reasons. Because, you know, in Hawaii, right, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. Save the environment, you know, very environmental. You want to keep paradise the way it is. But there's also other implications. And clearly, um, this implication was not completely thought out if this is what really happened. And so apparently the grass underneath the pole was flammable for some reason or more flammable. And so when the pole came down and perhaps broke the lines, which then sparked this grass started on fire 
And it wasn't easy to put out. It was almost flammable. And then the winds from this hurricane started to blow the fire. 60, 70 mile hour winds. Those are, those are like tornado-like winds. This was a hurricane. And so this fire just blew so fast that people didn't even know what was happening. And then we're hearing more about human error, about potentially the, the alarm systems on the island for emergencies were not used correctly. There's also a question that when about the the emergency uh, the electric company in Maui you they heard about these 70 80 mile an hour winds coming through and they didn't shut off the electricity allowing for this to happen but once again if this if this Fire, if this is the way this wildfire happened that completely decimated this Hawaiian island, at least a a good portion of it, it was due to our fragile and frail electrical system. Once again, it's not just about cars here. You know, we're betting, we... We take a lot for granted, but if you think about the technology I said before about the year 2000, here we are in the year 2000. We're in the 21st century, and we're well into it by 23 years. And we still have electricity, our main source of energy that we cannot do without. And it's still strong. It's still, we're still using 1900 the 1900s technology with poles and wires strung around out in the elements open to any catastrophe open to wind and rain and snow <laughs> we talk about how advanced we are but we're not we're lazy once again, I've said this many times, we're, we, we are not preventive. This may have been, this, this electrical grid, this system may have been revolutionary at one time in the 18 and 1900s, but not in the 21st century. Shouldn't we have upgraded and advanced our electrical transmission systems in this country? The most powerful, the most the richest country in the world? We look at, as I said before, you look at Puerto Rico, they 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 had a major storm and it knocked out their entire country, and we say, Oh, well, they had this old and uh and vulnerable grid. And now look at Maui. One of our states, by the way, let's not forget, it's Hawaii. It's a part of the United States. And an electrical pole, an electrical wire that's out exposed to the elements may have 
been the main culprit combined with a hurricane, which is not high winds and things like that, not crazy to happen in the Pacific Ocean. That's where hurricanes happen. That's where Hawaii is. But we just go, well, this is the way we transmit our energy. With electrical lines and poles, just like we always have. And then what? We cross our fingers and hope nothing happens? I told the story about the, 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 the electrical you know, uh, inefficiencies. If you had an electric car, I brought up a scenario. Well, what if you lose the electricity in your house for a week? What do you do with your car? If, you're, if your main electrical charge spot is in your garage and you don't have electricity, then you can't charge your car. About three years ago or so, we had a major derecho, <laughs> big windstorm, a derecho, that's what it was called, came blasting through our neighborhood in a matter of minutes, minutes, not even hours like it took in Hawaii, minutes. This derecho of high winds and rain came blasting through where I live, knocked out our electricity because of these these exposed wires that just are hanging by poles, 18th, 19th century technology. I mean, they can't be buried under the ground so that they're not exposed to adverse weather. We have Wi-Fi. I don't, once again, I'm not an engineer. I don't know this, but I just can't believe that we have Wi-Fi. I can hit a button and, and, and this invisible Wi-Fi connects me, but my electricity has to be transmitted by these exposed and vulnerable wires from the top of poles where guys are still climbing up. Men and women are still climbing up to fix on a pole that can be uh, you know, damaged by wind and rain and snow and trees, the growth of trees. How many times is... The electric company in your area come by to trim your tree because it's 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 affecting a line. I mean, this is the 21st century. We're still using this. <laughs> and we're talking about electric cars that'll be dependent on those lines that are exposed on poles hanging everywhere. My yard looks like, you know, like electric line central. There's so many wires over my yard from a, the, the a big electrical pole in the corner. I mean, there's like two, you know, the one that comes from the, the pole to my house. Then there's another, I don't even you know, telephone. I mean, telephone, I don't know what's going on over here. I got, I got three or four giant lines over my garage coming from my house. You used to have cable television, another line to the house. This is the best we could do in the in 2023. We're still dependent on this antiquated technology, which we now have seen can be catastrophic. And we are the most advanced country in the world. 
Wow. Doesn't say much for the advancement of the world. Well, you know, it costs a lot of money. Well, yeah, you know, (laughs) I guess so. But how much is it going to cost now to rebuild Lahaina? So would it have been worth the investment to re-engineer the electrical grid in Lahaina, which in theory is vulnerable to high winds and hurricanes and, and other typhoons and things like that, monsoons, typhoons. How much would that have cost to upgrade it or change it so that such a catastrophe could never happen because even though it's going to cost billions, clearly many billions with a B to rebuild this town, which they're going to do, and the money's going to come from somewhere, and it's going to come from us. So the same pot that we would have used to up, perhaps upgrade an electrical system so that there wouldn't have been this catastrophe. Now we're going to spend 10 times whatever that would cost to rebuild the city. And even if you rebuild it physically, you will never rebuild it emotionally. Lives were lost. Homes were lost. Memories, mementos, Un, unthinkable devastation, irreplaceable objects of affection and, and memories, photos, paintings, whatever, gone forever. But more than that, it's a thousand people, at least, that are unaccounted for. And you know what that's a euphemism for. A week later. Unaccounted is another word for, sadly, they're, they're gone. There's ash. They're not buried under anything. They're not lost. So how much would it have cost? Oh, well, it would have cost a billion. Well, this is going to cost... $20 billion to rebuild this city. So if we have the $20 billion to rebuild the city, we had 2 or $3 billion perhaps to upgrade the electricity so that the city wouldn't have been completely obliterated from the face of the earth and more than 1,000 people dead for no reason. We, we just don't, we don't want to prevent... Oh, we're very good at fixing when something breaks. Oh, we will spend the money and people will come flocking and everybody will help. And and that's the part of the American spirit. But I wish a part of the American spirit was how do we prevent catastrophe? We clean up. We are the best at cleaning up and helping. We're fantastic at that. But we're horrible at prevention. Because we have this odd thing in our head that if it doesn't, if it's not broke yet, then don't worry about it. 
And we have this 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 American optimism, I think, that where everything will always be okay until it isn't. And as we're seeing, there's more things happening. I, I, I mentioned this on a pad, podcast a few years ago. Go find it. And my the basic premise I was talking about was it just seems like there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of a lot of 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 incompetence. Just incompetence happening. This 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 Maui tragedy can be at least at least initially here from what we're hearing could be also based on some incompetence. Yes, there was this storm and you know this this pole fell down. You could say, well, that's an act of God. Well, I don't want to get into that whole religious type of thing, but but my point is, if the electricity wasn't on a pole, then it wouldn't have mattered. The, the pole, there wouldn't have been a pole. There shouldn't have been a pole to fall down in an area where high winds can happen. So bad planning. But there's also a question of did the did the people in charge, as I said before, turn the sirens on? Should they have shut the electricity off when they knew high winds were coming? To protect this fragile electrical grid? Should they have just shut it off and said, look, folks, we got a big storm coming in here. This might be inconvenient, but we're going to turn off the electricity for safety. Would that have been so hard or what? They were afraid people were going to complain? Oh, I don't have electricity for 10 minutes? Well, now you don't have your house. You don't have your community. You have your city. That wasn't that was a bad decision. If that was the decision that the electrical company in, in Maui made, bad human decision. Oh, we're going to get a lot of complaints. Well, too bad. That's your job. Your job is to think ahead, to protect people. People who don't know better, sadly, in many cases. So, you know what? Let them complain. At least they're alive, at least they're safe, at least they have their homes. But somebody didn't decide, somebody made a mistake. This is human ineptness. You see how many how many times this summer in the last several years and 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 especially this summer we're seeing these these planes. You know, once again, you know, we have such a, a dependency on on you know on our travel. And we have we have great trust in our aviation system. Think about the social the contract that we make when we get on a plane. We are completely surrendering our safety. And we are assuming that those in charge on every level of the fight, the flight of that, you know, that goes into a flight happening are doing their jobs. No lollygagging, no slacking off. We're assuming that the tires have enough air, that the plane has enough gas, that all the electrical, um, switches and knobs have been tested that the pilots are trained that they are capable and 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 conf- and, and 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 committed and that they're in, in the right frame of mind that the that the 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 flight attendants know what to do in case of, there are so many things that go into a successful flight but we take them for granted but think about it. And now we're hearing about planes almost hitting one another. You know, that's that's human error. 
whether it's the tower, whether it's the, the, the pilots, somebody's not doing their job. And there's so many near misses. We're seeing computer, you know, flights, uh, you know, airports left in, in complete chaos because computer systems go down. Why? But when I see that devastation that happened in Maui, I see when I start to hear now in the aftermath the possible causes. It's human error. We love to say, oh, it was nature because that gets us off the hook. Yeah, nature contributed to it, but nature is, you know, this is what drives me crazy. Nature is here. I've said this many times. It's complete arrogance. If anybody ever says, save the planet, laugh at them. That is human arrogance. We are not going to save the planet. The planet has been here for millions of years, and it survived. We are a mere species that have been on this planet for a a. A, 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 a pin drop in, in, the, in, the, in the course of time. And from what I understand, 98% of the species that have lived on this planet have gone extinct. And we are one of them. The planet rules us. We do not rule the planet. So it is complete human arrogance, and, and it's almost laughable for us to say that we are going to save the planet. When you see this fire that happened in Hawaii, that's a reminder who's in charge. Not us. Nature. Nature's in charge. We react to nature. Nature doesn't react to us. We're not going to save the planet. We, if, if, now, I would be all behind it if you say, save the human race. Yeah, you know, climate change, save, don't save the planet. The planet is, 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 is getting warmer. There's no question about it. But the planet has gone through several climate changes in its history. We had an ice age. Remember that? And there were no planes. <laughs> there were no emissions. Except natural emissions from dinosaurs, perhaps. <laughs> if you know what I mean. What caused that? Man didn't cause that. This is a volatile planet. It's ridiculous that it even exists. Everything had to be, has to be perfect for, for life to live on this planet. That's why you see the other planets. The type of life that, that we have is exi- every, every part of this planet is perfect to sustain life. One thing little one thing out of whack and life cannot be sustained here. That's the miracle of the earth. Other planets, 
you see the, the they're you know they're 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 inhabitable inhabitable freezing weather hot weather winds tornado that life can't exist ours is a the a perfect conglomeration of all these atmospheric things that allow us to sustain life but there are times when that balance gets out when we have storms and things like this but those storms would be happening the only reason they're tragedies is because of man and not because we cause them but because we live there there are hurricanes in the oceans all the time but there's if there's no there's no land around the hurricanes whisk they they they, they fly around the the ocean and then they dissipate no harm done because there's no people there why are the wildfires so terrible? Those, those happen naturally in nature. They do happen. Now, we're seeing the effects of some of these in terms of the burning in the United States from a weather standpoint, but we're not seeing, like the Canada ones, but we're not seeing you know hundreds of deaths. Why? Because it's, it's open land. It's a tragedy because we as people have inhabited places that we probably shouldn't. We all want to have homes and all want to live by the beach, by the water. We want the view. Well, then we're susceptible to the weather that occurs on coasts. We want beautiful cabins and wooded homes in the forest. Well, in the mountains. Well, then you're susceptible to the weather that attacks those kinds of areas. That weather would be happening regardless. It becomes a human tragedy because we built there. Save the planet is a joke. We are not going to save the planet. The planet is going to take us over at one time. The planet will make us extinct. The planet, the na- nature, is in charge. And every time there is a catastrophic storm, we should be reminded of that, of who's really in charge. We can build all the towns and all the houses that we want, but on the coast, everything looks great. And then Mother Nature reminds us who's in charge. And sadly, in, in Maui, once again, Mother Nature was in charge. And sadly, we had a catastrophe because of human error. We don't have the right electrical capabilities to withstand those storms. You say, well, this was a, a once-in-a-million storm. Well, you know what? 
How many times are you hearing this once in a million stuff? It's, it's happening more. It's not once in a million anymore. They used to say, oh, that's a thousand year storm. We're having 10,000 year storms within years, within five years. All those old calculations are gone. The, there's no question that climate is changing. You can debate as to why. But the climate is changing, whether it's a natural progression that the, the climate always does or human contributing to it. Certainly we're contributing to it because we're on it. We're using the resources. And the, and the world, the earth, is adapting to that because we have 8 billion people on the earth for the first time using its resources. So it's adapting to that. So we're not saving the planet. The planet is trying to save itself by changing. If you want to save the human race, I'm all for that. But don't say save the planet. That's just human arrogance. So here we have the beautiful tropical paradise of Maui, which, you know, I'm sure you, when you saw the news reports and still and you continue to see this, you could see that the, the people on the ground there that live there, not only are they reacting to the, the catastrophe and the chaos and the devastation that they have uh, experienced, which has got to just be emotionally jarring. But you can also see that there's also, at least initially, there's there was, and with time, you know, we we are the human race is is very is very adaptable as well. We we are able to grieve and move on in many in many cases. Look at nine eleven, right? But in the aftermath of when it first started, when you were looking at this devastation, you were seeing interviews with survivors not only were they distraught and just in shock at what happened and how quick it happened but you could also see there was a look on their faces of 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 a of a different kind of shock like well we this is hawaii you know this this was paradise we 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 went we got away from the rat race to come to this serene and beautiful and tropical island to get away from all the the pressures and stresses of of the mainland and an urban setting we came here to see the sunrise and the beaches and the and the palm trees and the breeze and the sun and this kind of laid back vibe. It was almost like they felt that they were in paradise, that they were able to, either if you were born there or you moved there, that you were, you were somehow, uh, you know, secluded from the pressures of reality, that you went to some other place where you didn't worry about those things. And then, this happened and it shook their reality and it once again reminds us how vulnerable we are as a species 
how vulnerable we are in general to the forces of nature. And then we have added to that vulnerability by our own actions, by building in spots that we probably shouldn't because they're vulnerable to natural occurrences, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, typhoons, avalanches. But we build, we live in these places and we put ourselves, oh, well, that will never happen. Well, and then it does. So I feel sorry for the for people in Hawaii, in Maui, not just because of the, the horrendous events that took their loved ones, took their lives, changed their lives, those that have survived, that, that, that completely destroyed their, their city, their, their homes, their reality. But it has to have shake, shaken, shaken them emotionally and internally because I think they, they, they had this sense of invulnerability that they, had, that they were immune to those things. They were in a paradise. And there's no question that there are areas on this earth that are paradise-like, but paradise does not exist. And we, here on earth at least, and you can believe what you want to believe about religion, but my point is, we are all vulnerable. And we are all at the mercy of nature. And we better understand that more when we're planning things. Are we really thinking about when we're thinking of climate change, every time something happens, well, climate change, climate change, but are we still building homes in mountains that are susceptible to wildfires now that we know that there may be more stronger winds and there may be more, they're not, and they're, they're, more, they're stronger than they used to be and they create more damage. So are we still, are developers still building those homes right on the edges of, the forest that would be susceptible to that? Are we looking for a new advanced electrical grid that won't be as vulnerable to the nature's elements if in, indeed our climate is changing, then our technology and mindset must change because our cities and our technologies we're all built based on a climate from 200 years ago. So if we, if if you are of the thing that there is climate change and it is happening, whether it's man-made or not, it's happening, then we have to rethink and readjust how we live and where we live. So if we're saying the climate's changing and we're still putting up electrical poles that are vulnerable to the climate, if we're still building homes on beaches and in forests that are vulnerable to hurricanes and, and wildfires, then we're not learning anything. Don't blame nature. Nature is happening. Nature will happen. Nature is in charge. We are not. So we better rethink 
how we build, where we build, why we build, where we live, how we live, where we live, based on a new climate. All the configurations, all the predictions, all the past data is irrelevant. If our climate is changing, if it's getting hotter, if we're getting more winds, if we're getting more violent weather, we can't stop that weather. So our safety then is based upon we need to be away from the weather. Oh, yeah, but I mean, I love to have... I understand that, but that's not that's not viable anymore. Cavemen used to live in caves for a reason. To keep them away from the weather. That's what we have to do. We have to rethink. All those beautiful beachside, lakeside, you know, uh, wooded forests, cabins, all that stuff. I know. I love it too. But if our climate's changing, those are dangers now. They're not luxuries. So you can't have it one way. You can't complain about climate change and then buy or build a a condo on the on the ocean shore and then when a hurricane comes complain about it you said you you're an advocate for climate change so why did you move there well i didn't think a a storm would hit well yes you did you said there was climate change that's a result of climate change Ir- changing unpredictable new types of weather Events that are, in many ways, completely opposite to the way we've known them for the last two or three or four hundred years. All of our cities are based on those former trends. Well, some of those trends might be changing. So we better be changing with them. But I don't think we are. Oh, we're going to get electrical cars. But we're still going to use... This antiquated system of electricity? Are we ready? It really will be sad if the Lahaina devastation and, um, and destruction was based on this human error of an electric pole coming down and, 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 um, and starting this flammable grass underneath the pole combined with this hurricane to start that. If that's the case, we couldn't stop the hurricane, but we could have prevented the electrical line and this grass. And that's my point about we have to begin to start matching where we're living. We're, we're living if, if in a climate now that's changing, but we're living in a in a, we're still living by 19th century minds of the way things were. Our technology, our electricity, but also, oh, yeah, I want to live by the water. Well, I, you know, maybe you can't live by the water anymore because there's going to be hurricanes all the time now. 
How many times do you see in the Midwest all these floods? Same places every year. But people are still living by the river, still living next to the lake. Wow, I never thought it would flood again. <laughs> you didn't? Why? Because you didn't want it to? Nature doesn't stop by our optimism. Nature doesn't stop by our delusion. Nature doesn't stop by our ignorance. Nature's going to happen. And we saw just how brutal things can get when we get when we don't adapt to nature. And that's what's happening. That's what happened in Maui. We did not react and we are not adapting to our change in nature. Nature runs the ship here, folks. We are just passengers. And sadly, what we saw happen in Maui, as devastating and sad and horrible and horrific as that is, the question now is where is the next one going to happen? Not if. The sad part is where and when. So our thoughts go out to the people in Maui who maybe in their own way thought that they were invulnerable, but nobody's invulnerable. We saw just how vulnerable we are. If anything, the 21st century has shown us, especially in the United States, how vulnerable we are. The 21st century started with an invulnerability, showcasing our invulnerability, or our, our vulnerability with 9-11. And over the last 25 years, 23 years, we have seen that vulnerability once again show its face in many ways, naturally and man-made. Natural disasters, hurricanes, New Orleans, Hurricane Sandy, planes, Human error, almost hitting each other. We got to start thinking, folks. We are a vulnerable, fragile species on a powerful planet. We have to start thinking better, smarter, facing reality. Hopefully, life can go on and the town of Lahaina will be rebuilt. People will be able to move forward. And Maui can continue to be this kind of secluded paradise. But let's always remember that paradise always comes with a cost. Even if you are religious-based, Adam and Eve were in paradise but there was a contingency. Don't eat the apple. Paradise is never free. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty, your devotion are much, 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 much appreciated. 
Hope you enjoyed episode number 379. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen.